Does that sound about right? Mm-hmm. It really does. It's it's spot on. I don't even need to answer it. <laughs> keep, keep going. <laughs> just, just, just say my favorite phrase, which is, Curtis, you are right. You could restore. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my hair consultant, Rasana Maliandi. How's it going, Rasana? Good, Curtis. How you doing? I thought I was your Bollywood consultant. Uh, well, yeah, you are definitely my Bollywood consultant. The spreadsheet, I, you know, I haven't, since we last spoken, uh, I, I haven't watched any more uh, Bollywood movies. Although, this morning, in a, <laughs> in a con call, uh, I actually dropped an Amir Khan quote into <laughs> into a meeting. <laughs> Which quote was this? And from what? Oh, it was just something about like doing something like that you're scared to do, but just do it, and you know, and you'll work it out later or something. I, I literally, I literally Googled Amir Khan quotes <laughs> to find a quote that I could throw in, and I I did that this morning. Did um, people catch but, it? Uh, oh, they. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the. The, or at least the the Indian attendees of the, of the, uh, the meeting definitely got it. Everybody else was like, uh, "What?" <laughs> let's uh, let's bring on our guest. Uh, I have a longtime friend here, and he, you know, goes back to man. It, it, I I don't know if we ever interacted. Well, we'll we'll have to talk about this. But uh, he has been in the storage industry for over thirty years, and he's been at Spectralogic. Uh, for 30 years. Welcome to the podcast, Matt Starr. Uh, thank you very much, Curtis. I appreciate you having me on. Now, do you, do you go by Spectra now, or is it still Spectralogic, or is it just Spectra now? I think we go by either one, kind of the, the term Porsche and Porsche, or Chevy and Chevrolet. So gotcha. we'll, take, we'll yeah, take either. It's like with NetApp. Yeah, NetApp, NetApp from Network Alliance. And yeah. The yeah. Blue and Federal Express, you know? Yeah, yeah. The same thing. Um, so Matt, so here, so here's a question. So I, I was a Spectralogic customer a hundred years ago back at MBNA. We had a whole bunch of the, uh, I guess they, they became known as like tree frogs or bullfrogs or whatever those things were. We've had both. Yeah. Did we interact back in that time frame? I don't remember. Well, possibly. Cause at that time on the Bullfrog, I was a, a systems engineer, so I would go out on um, kind of oddball systems and make those work. So, like, for example, the AT&T 3B2, um, I made uh-huh. those systems work on 3B2s. Didn't mean to interrupt, but for the listeners who may not know what Spectralogic is and what Bullfrog and all the rest is, maybe... Uh... We've always had code names for our development programs, and we used reptile names for our tape libraries. So we had the... Uh, bullfrog, the tree frog, the super frog, the gator, uh, python, and those are actually our library names. So <clears throat> the libraries themselves, you know, when you call into our support department or are talking to a sales guy, they oftentimes will use the code name for the product, uh, even though, for example, a, a, a bullfrog was an SL8000, um, it, it, it was always known as a bullfrog by our customers. So it, it's it's kind of a catch-22 also <laughs> because 
you know, we use these these code names, and then it confuses people because they don't see it on the website. Well, where's that bullfrog thing you were talking about, or where's that Python you were talking about? Oh, that's that's the T950 you want to look at. So uh, it's good and bad, but it, it's one of the things that makes the company kind of fun too. And you, uh, you and you have the Tfinity now, which is what we're primarily going to talk about today. Does the Tfinity have a, a reptile name? It was part of the Python family, so it's it's a generation of the Python. Yeah. So, well, it's really long, so <laughs> that makes sense. It should be called the Anaconda, I think. Yeah. And just tape libraries in general, maybe a brief overview for listeners who may not be familiar as much with that. So, you want me to go back to Spectra and tape libraries? Yes, please. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so Spectra, we've been building uh, secondary storage products for well, since I've been there. Um, and most of them are based either on a kind of a tier two disk or, a, or, or tape based storage. And so, our tape libraries kind of are currently kind of our mainstay up in the hardware space of, of uh, big storage. Um, those systems are robotically controlled system using a digital tape like LTO linear tape open. Um, and that technology today is holding 12 terabytes per tape. Uh, a big library today holds tens of thousands up to up, up over 50,000 tapes today in one very large tape library. That's over an exabyte of storage uh, using, using uh, LTO 9, which is the technology that's just about to come out. So we're talking about a storage system where when people think about terabytes, a thousand of those is the petabyte and a thousand of those is the exabyte. We're starting to get to customers that are talking about exabytes of data. Which, would, if, if I do my math, that's a million terabytes then? A million, million terabytes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so for, I guess, one another way to look at this from a customer perspective or a user perspective is if you had a bunch of data and say you had a thousand uh, terabytes, right, or a petabyte of data and if you are backing it up to tape, you would actually have someone sitting there putting a tape in, copying some amount of data, pulling the tape out, putting the next one in, cataloging that somewhere else. And kind of the library helps you automate all of that so you don't necessarily have a person manually going and doing all these steps. Yeah, and it's it's come a long ways even from that. So what, you know, kind of the, it, the analogy I gave some people at NASA the other day was it's kind of like the automobile industry squeezed into 30 years you know the, the tape libraries that curtis was earlier talking about were kind of like the cars from the 1930s it was you know they went out and they started and you could drive them someplace but they didn't have uh, uh, comfort with them uh, they weren't designed for very long-term reliability they, they just were kind of a, a a get around kind of thing and what's happened now is you know you talk about a tape library today Getting the tape from the slot to the drive, that's that's a no-brainer. Now it's things like, does it phone home? Uh, how is it managing the media after the fact? So you talk about that you wrote some data to this tape inside the tape library, and you leave it there for six months. The tape library now will go back and check the data on there by doing CRC checks. So the, the feature set has progressed from you know the 1930s car up to what we're doing now is getting closer to like a Tesla as far as feature set and what we're trying to produce as a product. That's actually pretty awesome, especially with the number of tapes in some of these libraries, right? I'm sure that there's a lot of things you have to do in the back end, right? Or managing that. Yeah, it's no longer 10 tapes in a tape drive, right? It, now it's, you know, now it's 75 tape drives and, and you know, 25,000 pieces of media. Right. And, and every one of those tapes, like you were talking about, is like 12 terabytes of data, which is, which is crazy. Now, you know, Persona and I live on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And by the way, throw out our disclaimer, uh, Persona and I do both work Druva for, do both work for Druva. 
but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own. And also be sure to rate this podcast on uh, ratethispodcast.com slash restore. You know, we, we live in this world where, you know, there are people who think tape is dead and you live in a world where tape is very much alive and growing, right? Because every time I look at the tape market, and people are surprised to hear that more tape is sold today than ever before, et cetera. Uh, so you, you live in that world. Mm-hmm. I do every day. Uh, and it's kind of funny that I had, that was the NASA call that I had yesterday, which is, you know, one of the NASA sites, she's, she was saying that, you know, well, I haven't used tapes for, for 10 years. You know, what, what, what is it now? <laughs> and what is this tape thing? You know, you what is this about? now? And, and it, the, the market has shifted. I mean, tapes is still, uh, you know, uh, in the backup world, still used, especially for air gap, uh, especially for compliance. Um, recently, there's been a lot of malware um, and ransomware out there. And I will tell you that, um, you know, this, the town I live in is Lafayette, Colorado. It was hit with, with malware. Uh, ransomware and the city systems were down for over six weeks. I mean, you you go to the city and pay your water bill at the at the teller's office. We actually um, did cover this. This was yeah. one of the podcast topics we did. Yeah. So it, you know, and, and the people that and there's been others. And if you look at the successful ones that didn't pay the ransom and got their data back, they almost always come off tape um, because ransomware doesn't attack. T- it can't attack tape. Uh, yeah. But, you know, they're getting pretty sophisticated with the ransomware where they actually go out now. And the first thing they do is get a hold of that, you know, XYZ backup software's database. And then they go after the SQL databases and things like that. And they start encrypting stuff pretty quickly. You're preaching to the choir on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We know, we know that. And 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 then the other thing, the, the, I think I think that the, the, the air gap protection is one of the key um, uh, value props of tape. The other would be long term. Uh, storage, right? That that nothing, as 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 hard as it is for some people, if you, if you don't have any training in tape, as hard as it is for some people to understand, tape is better at writing ones and zeros in the first place than disk, and better and better at holding on to those ones and zeros without magnetic degradation than disk for long periods of time. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, the reason is is because you know today a tape is 200 kilometers long. I mean, that's linearly, if you were to take an LTO tape. Seriously, is that really? how long it is? I didn't yeah. realize it was yeah. that long. Wow. It's a one kilometer, it's one kilometer piece of median. It goes over 208 passes, so down and backs. So it's 208, basically 208 kilometers long. But what's more important is the actual surface area, right? You think about that tape, it's a hub, and then the tape is spooled onto it. There's bits throughout that entire hub. Um, when you lay that tape out, and, and it's a, let's just say it's a half an inch wide and one kilometer long, compare that surface area to the surface area of a three and a half inch platter. And we have hundreds, if not thousands of times, and I did the calculation once, thousands of times more surface area than a disk drive. So really what it is, is our bits are big. <laughs> uh, right. And, and big bits don't, don't fade. Um, yeah, they, they don't uh, degrade. I, I, I've learned <laughs> you, a lot. That that's, that's, that's the song you should make. Big bits don't fade. <laughs> oh, yeah, because earlier, I, think I know which song you would play that to as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> earlier on the uh, before the call, I, I mentioned uh, Joe. Uh, is it Jernicki or Jernicki? Jernicki, you know? Joe Jernicki. Yeah, Joe Jernicki. Uh, so he helped me understand this concept of coercivity which is based on it, which is the, the idea of like magnetic bits flipping, 
right? Over time, degrading over time. And that there are, there are two, there's a formula, KUV over KT, and there are two, you know, um, variables in that. One is how big the bits are and uh, bigger bits are better. And then the other is the temperature of the media and cooler media better, right? Tape has giant bits and cooler media, right? When compared to, to disc. And that's why it's just better at holding stuff for long periods of time. And, uh, it's, and then, it's not just even better. It's like significantly better, right? It's, it, it is <laughs> orders of magnitude. Like, but, well, it, 10,000 yeah, times ECC rates, you know, if you take a SATA disk drive, it's 10,000 times better at ECC than a SATA, than a SATA disk drive is. And, yeah, and, and more importantly, there's a more important fact here, which most people don't know, which is when you're reading a disk drive itself, and this is what's happened in the RAID stacks that sit above is why they're adding uh, different levels of CRC checking, not just RAID itself, is the SATA disk drive, the error correction is so thin. And what I mean by thin is it's right on the razor's edge um, that they'll return when they can't correct, they will miscorrect. And so they're going to give you data. Uh, it's it's just not going to be the right data. And so up the stack is some level of object code or something else carrying a CRC like ZFS is carrying something across the, the entire stripe there to validate that somebody didn't give me bad data. Tape, on the other hand, it's 10 to the 31st before it's going to give you bad data. Now, I think that's a million tape drives writing as fast as they can, and it's five times the life of the earth before that happens. Which is a really, really, really long time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. You could say so that, that speaks primarily <laughs> to its ability to write data in the first place. The other thing, of course, is so that if my understand or my memory serves like disk, if you put a file on a disk and don't touch it, uh, you're looking at five years before degradation. But with tape, that's more like 30. That sound about right? Yeah, th- tape is rated to 30. I, I will tell you that the, the hiccup with 30 years, and this is technology in general, is show me a piece of technology that you still have <laughs> from 30 years ago, <laughs> unless, it, unless it's just gathering dust on a shelf as a showpiece. Um, I, I have my parallel my parallel SCSI Terminator sitting over there. So, so where I always go is, you know, migration time tends to be at the 10, 15 year mark at the kind of the on the outside and it's not a migration because the bits are weakening it's a migration because the technology is surpassed and you may not be able to get that you know operating systems controller cards uh bus yeah. interfaces all that stuff has changed um yeah and you and, you, and you'll have financial incentives to absolutely. to consolidate right yep. um absolutely. if you can fit 10 times as much data on the same tape which and especially if you're paying by the tape at iron mountain or you're paying you know, you have this Tfinity, the tape library. It's not like the square footage that that thing is sitting in is is free, right? So, you know, whenever you, whenever you consolidate, you save money. So that's 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 your point. Is that people do still migrate data, but they migrate it for other reasons, right? For um, not because the data is degrading and going away. Does that sound about right? Mm-hmm. It really does. It's it's spot on. I don't even need to answer it. <laughs> keep, keep going. <laughs> just, just, just say my favorite phrase, which is, Curtis, you are right. Uh, is this something, I know we're going to talk about the Tfinity series. Is this something that um, the tape libraries offer themselves internally, that they can help you migrate your tape data from, say, one technology to another? Yeah. So I, it's an interesting question, and a lot of people that when they when they look at tape from the outside, they they 
yeah, why doesn't the tape library do this? And the biggest reason we don't is because the barcode, the labeling, uh, the combining of those tapes need to be known by the people who wrote them, be it, mm. you know, Druva, be it by Commvault, be it by HPSS, be it by Versity. That software uh, needs to know that we've relocated. Now, then the idea comes up, well, spoof the barcodes and, the, <laughs> you know, you get into these things where, yes, you could do it, but it, it, it takes out resiliency. Um, and all the software out there, I'll tell you today, that does archiving. Will do this migration for you, and some of the backup software today will do the migration for you. Gotcha. But when you're doing the tape migration, though, I guess even though it's controlled by the backup software, it's not like it has to read the data out through the server and write it back to the tape. No, it, or it, does. it will. It does. Okay. It, yeah, most of them will read it up. And and the reason they're so you know today, if you look at technologies coming from an 800, you know, let's just say you're coming off in one of the older generations of LTO, um, you're writing, you know, you're pulling an 800 gig tape. Um, and you're coming up to a, you know, a now 12 terabyte tape, uh, you're going to put a lot of those tapes on, on one system, right. Or on, you know, you're going to really pack those together. Uh, so I, in general, what's going to happen is you're, you're, you know, you have this long-term sh- storage system, the technology jumps one, two, three, maybe four generations. And I always say three or four for, if you really want to be uh, cost effective at that generation mark, you're getting a 8x, sometimes an 8x uh, improvement in density. So you're going from you know one terabyte to eight terabyte. Mm. Uh, it's 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 such a cost savings to, yeah. to Curtis's point. The, the Tfinity is still going to be the end of the discussion here. But uh, another thing that I'm curious about, because uh, obviously you've spent far more time in recent tape than I have, the long-term problem that we had with tape with regards to backing up to them directly was the, the shoe shining problem, right? And I know that they've done things over the years to help with that. I, I don't think you can completely eliminate it. You know, in, in the end, tape has, you know, tape has to go very fast to get a good uh, uh, signal to noise ratio. But how, like, can you, can you speak to the degree that tape, modern tape drives can help with that issue? Yeah, so there's a couple things they have in the firmware of the tape drive that helps that. Um, first, let's talk. Let's step back to talk about speed. Is you know, um, tape drives will, will take, will accept. And let's just talk uncompressed data today. An LTO eight tape drive will accept data at 360 megabytes per second. Um, so if you can push data at off your file system at 400 megabytes a second, it's going to run at 360 megabytes per second. Right. If for some reason your file system can only do 200 megabytes per second, that tape drive is going to run at about 200 megabytes per second. In other words, it's going to be the slowest of the, you know, right. the, the lowest right. common denominator. So what they've done in the tape drive is done some speed matching. So they can actually um, match up and slow the tape drive down. I think it's sort of, there's 11 steps down to under 200 megasecond the last time I looked uh, to, to help people that don't have fast enough servers or fast enough file systems to prevent that shoe shining. And then the other thing they do is there's sometimes on some tape drives, uh, you can actually set a feature to pad it with zeros. You know, tape, when you talk about a piece of tape media, it is, you know, 12 terabytes today going to 18 terabytes. Um, if you if you wrote out a few megabytes of zeros, who cares? Um, mm. So it, well, that's, it, that's smart, yeah. Right, so you just keep the drive streaming and just put some garbage down on the tape 
And so there's technologies and ideas and ways to keep that tape drive always going. And you're spot on, which is there's two parts that hurt that tape drive. You know, first is when we're streaming, um, it's kind of like thinking about a disk drive spinning. Everybody really knows how a disk drive or thinks about how a disk drive works. It's spinning and then the heads are moving kind of in and out on a, on an axis there. Uh, this, the tape, when we need to stop and back up, we have to go, we can't just stop and back up to exactly where we, where we were. We need to go back a little farther and start reading, get in sync and then find right where we stopped and then start again. So that shoe shine thing that you're talking about, really is a, a go farther back than where you where we were starved of data and then start back up again, get up to speed and then start writing. Right. And it's interesting that <laughs> you talk about how it can slow down to as slow as 200 <laughs> megabytes per second. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, that that that's still very fast boggles my mind. Right. <laughs> well, and, and the problem, yeah. the problem is not, not just, you know, with the backup, with specifically with use of it with backup is that most backups are incrementals and it's not a performance issue. It's just the way incrementals work. Yes. Yeah, so right. Collection, so you're the collection you're, problem, right? You're yeah, collecting. Yeah. 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 So, um, and that's why I think when, when we started shifting the, the use of tape to two, and, and I'm sure you still sell tape in other use cases, but the two use cases that I remember still strongly believing in it for was that second copy. Once you have everything on disk on a backup system, then copying it for, you know, for the air gap purposes that you talked about. And then the other is that long-term storage, right? And it's super cheap to create one or multiple copies compared to uh, the alternative and store it for a ridiculously long period of time. Yeah. Can, and it's can, perfect for fulls, really. I mean, if you really think about something, yes, you yes. know what I mean? You, you, you always put your full out to tape. And the reason you do that is because the, you know, the, the, the point, the recovery uh, objective and the point in time recovery, the probability of somebody coming back and needing a file from Thursday versus any file from, you know, last week, once you get months out, it's the full from last Friday. That's the one that right. happened. Right. So I was going to ask, um, I know we've been talking mainly about the backup and potentially uh, long-term retention compliance use cases. Are there new use cases emerging for tape and tape libraries that you could shed some light on? So the the, the place that tape is, to, to the growth spot is archive. Um, really, it is, it, is the, it is the preferred format for long-term data preservation. And, and there's a customer, I always describe the customer this way. You know, the Spectrologic, we build robotic systems, we build disk subsystems, we make software that moves data to tape. Um, those, those are our products. And a byproduct of us selling our products, we have, a, we have SQL databases, we have an ERP system. Those grow at, you know, 5% per year, right? We, we're not generating a ton of data. So, you know, you look at our data growth, but then you look at companies like NASCAR, MLB, you look at ECMWF for weather or NOAA or NCAR, and, and their business is data. Uh, ones and zeros is, is their product. And so those are the customers that are looking at tape uh, for long-term retention, and they're the customers that are going into the hundreds of petabytes and exabytes because you, can't, you really can't store, um, at least cost-effectively, a you know, few hundred petabytes of data that you're only going to access a few percent of on disk. 
effectively. It's just way too expensive, yep. way too much heat, way too much physical cost outlay, too much space. Um, and that's where tape really plays is that, is that I don't want to even call it the last tier. It is the tier, the cold tier when your data is idle and you want to park it. And I know that maybe this also applies for probably some pharmaceutical companies as well, right? I know you mentioned some other industries, but I'm sure in the pharmaceutical space, as you're looking for vaccines and other things, right, being able to go back and pull older data becomes beneficial and keeping that available um, on something lower cost is yeah. helpful as well. Yeah. I mean, think about, I mean, we had a customer of ours that was a aircraft, uh, produced aircraft. Uh, one of their aircraft went into a swamp in accidentally fell into a swamp in Florida. Well, and I should hope it accidentally <laughs> fell into the swamp. <laughs> there were always accidents, right? Um, and so the FAA says, hey, we need, you know, this aircraft has been in production for, you know, 25 years. Give us all the drawings. And they pulled them off tape. Um, because, you know, the aircraft's out of production, but all the test data and all that stuff, they have to keep, while that aircraft is flying, you have to keep all that stuff. I, I used to do uh, work for what at that time was called Hughes Space and Communications, mm-hmm. HSC in El Segundo. And uh, they they had a 50-year uh, data retention policy because they've got satellites up in the air. And, and, and either one of two things happens, just like this. You know, satellite comes down when it wasn't supposed to. And then after 10 years, somebody comes back and goes, you remember that thing you made for us 10 years ago? We'd like, you know, 10 more of them. Right. Uh, you know, and all the drawings are, you know, archived. Right. So th- they have to bring that data back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, so two questions related, what is LTFS and how does that relate to this long-term? Has it, has it made an impact in the long-term storage industry? Uh, okay. So LTFS is uh, stands for linear tape file system. Um, and there's been, this idea has come around and, and not gained the idea of what LTFS is, has come around and, and, tried to gain traction. And this is the first one that really latched on and everybody kind of said, that's the way to go. And what it is, is it's first an open standard. Um, it's published. You can download free software that facilitates LTFS. Uh, it, linear tape file system gives you a tape that has a directory structure. So what they've done is they take you take the tape, it makes a partition on the tape, it makes a small, uh, small partition for the, I'm going to call it the inode table, the fat table, the file index, uh, if, if that's the way you want to refer to it. And then the bulk of the tape is the actual file data. And so what you get is a tape that is self-describing, but more importantly, it's self-describing by only reading the header. So there's formats out there today like TAR and other formats that you could read the tape and know the entire contents of the tape, but you have to read nearly all the tape to get the contents. LTFS's claim is, hey, you put the tape in the, in the drive, you have the LTFS driver, and it's going to make it look like a big USB key. So it goes out and reads the, the header information on that one partition. It puts it into a directory structure. Your system mounts it up and sees a big 12 terabyte with L209, 18 terabyte USB key, and all of a sudden you have all that data at your fingertips. So the other piece is, since it's open standard, now people are adopting it. So you see companies going out and saying, hey, let's go to LTFS. Let's go to LTFS. And the first industry to adopt it quite heavily is media and entertainment. Mm-hmm. So if you are if you were selling products or in the media and entertainment business, um, that's where you're really seeing it. Because one of the things they end up doing is you think about post-production. 
Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about making a music video. Post-production, there may be something where somebody has to run something called Smoke, remove the logos and things like that from, uh, from a show that they don't have licenses for the logo. Well, you send that out of house. So how do I do it? Well, I can send an LTFS tape now. I can send it to the post house. I don't have to put it on a disk drive anymore. I can put it on a tape and send it over. So that, that self-describing tape and the open standard, pretty powerful. Yeah, I, I remember um, uh, going to NAB several years ago, uh, back uh, when another former coworker of yours, Molly, when Molly uh, was there. And uh, I remember her making the comment that she was seeing the interest that LTFS had had. NAB is the National Association of Broadcasters, right? And um, she she was like, it was like tape is sexy again, right? Because, because <laughs> LTFS had made it, you know, more interesting. And um, uh, th- that it, so, so here's a question. One of the things when LTFS first came out, so the media asset management companies didn't necessarily in the beginning glom on to the idea of LTFS because it took away their proprietary nature, which, you know, just like we had this problem in the backup world, right? Like nobody wanted to support something that would make it easy to move between MANs. So is, has that been addressed? Yeah, that well, it, it's gone to the point where it, it, don't adopt it. And I'll, I'll, the analogy, I'm going to step back and I'll give you the analogy that I have shared with others on this is, you know, one of my first software jobs was writing device drivers for 23 different flavors of U- Unix. Now, Unix is Unix is Unix is Unix, but when you get into the kernel, it's not. And so we would port software to 23 different operating systems. And I remember this operating system that came around, came around called that they wanted me to work on called Linux. And at the huh. time it was Linux, right? And yeah. hey, can you do and it didn't even have SCSI when I did it. You couldn't even get a video card to work. It, you know, this was the, the days of when you did your own dot clock on the video card setup and things like this. Guess how many versions of Linux are out there to or Unix are out there today? You know, there's two hanging on, but Linux is the winner. Open right. standards win. That's the way to say it, right? Open mm. source, open standards win. And so that's what's happening with LTFS in the media and inter- in entertainment industry is, you know, you want to keep your proprietary format and you could say things like, oh, well, we're, we're denser and we're better and great. I still want LTFS. So mm-hmm. some of the companies have been forced that didn't adopt it, have nice. been forced to make exports. The, the customer said, look, you either export that data in LTFS so I can take it and send it to somebody, or we're going to have to drop your product. Um, so I think you're going to see over the next few years even more adoption in media and entertainment. Customer demand, right? Yeah. And Customers win. Yeah. And it's to your point, Curtis, is, you know, hey, open standard makes it so your software better be the best, or I'm jumping ship to the next guy because all I have to do is point his software at my archive and right. he, he reads right. the headers and off we go. Yeah, because I I did, and and you may do, do you remember the system independent data format? S I D F. There was there was an attempt at doing this for backups many years ago. You can find somewhere there's a web page that'll talk about it, but it it died yeah, right they're... because because none of the backup software products wanted to write a backup format that allowed you to easily go to the other guy's product. Right? <laughs> and, yeah, I remember when AD, ADS or something like that that came out. Yeah. Yep, there was a few of them that I remember, and, yeah. and that's where I was going. Is LTFS is the one that you know? Yep. It, it, when I saw LTFS, there was another technology next to it, the technology demo that I saw, which was a flash 
a piece of flash and, and tape cartridge together. And, and the premise was uh, put the LTFS header on the flash cartridge mm. and use the media as the, as the bulk storage. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, not really, you know, not viable today, but it was kind of a neat, you know, really kind of a neat idea, which was, Hey, let's get that, that system loaded up as quickly as possible. So cool stuff. Right. So let's talk about the Tfinity. So, uh, Tfinity is a tape library. It is, uh, the world's largest tape library today, at least a single tape library. There are other companies that kind of try to put theirs together, but as a single library, it is the largest today. It scales to over an exabyte. Over 144 of those tape drives we were talking about that run at 360 to 400 megabytes per second, holding 18 terabyte tapes, it'll hold over 50,000 of those. So you're talking about a wow. system that's an exabyte, right? Now, to be fair, um, you know, there's two robots in there. So it's HA from a robotics perspective. It's HA from power. It's HA. you got many tape drives in it. But when you have two robots and 50,000 slots... That's kind of a cold archive. That's pretty cold. You're not really retrieving a lot of information from it. Right, so the, right. the common Tfinity out there is probably 25 frames or less. So um, how? So I, yeah. I, I two questions I had. One is how big is that fully loaded out? Like if I want to compare it, like is that like the length of a football field? Well, two. Yeah. So two. Yeah. How big is it? Like it, you start. You start with four frames, right? Three is our smallest. Okay, three frames. And and what what? How big is that? Uh, that's going to be 90 inches, roughly 90 inches. 90 inches long, how wide? Uh, or deep, it's going to be 44. Okay, okay. So, and then how many frames can it have? 44. Which is then how long? About 110 feet. Okay, so not quite, it's like a third of a football field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've, we've, we've put one in our building. <laughs> yes, I I lost I lost the picture I had, but I have somewhere uh, there was a picture of me standing at one end of that Tfinity frame as it was being built, and you know, and being taken from the other end, and I looked tiny because this thing was so long. Yeah. Um, and so you're saying there's two robots that span the length of the thing, and every robot or both robots can get to every slot. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yep. And so, every slot and every drive. Yep. Yeah, there's no overlap. So how have you actually done, like, I know you mentioned restores probably aren't being used as often. In a big library, sure. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen how, like, are these robots just constant? Like, I could just picture in my head with, like, 44 tape library, or tape uh, drives you mentioned, I think, right? Inside mm-hmm. a fully populated one. Yeah. And are they just going back and forth constantly? So... <laughs> Yes, we do have customers that run the robot. You know, it is always moving. Um, It always has a job. Um, And we have other customers that probably are running their robot at 30% utilization because their tape drives are always busy doing doing writes and things like that. So think about it, you know, with a today a tape is in the tape drive. If you're filling it from beginning of tape, BOT, to end of tape, EOT, uh, it could be in there for many hours. Uh, But now think about it this way is, you know, we're, we're talking about file sizes and, you know, we're doing a podcast right now. This podcast is going to end up being what a hundred meg, 200 meg, right? Uh, How big? But yeah. Something like that. A couple okay. hundred megs, a couple hundred meg. I'm going to give it the benefit of that. I'm going to say, since I talk fast and it doesn't compress, <laughs> it's going to be 500 meg. So we have 500 meg of podcast here. It's going to take me just over a second to transfer that on an LTO 9 tape. 
you know, so so the data transfer, once I get the tape in the drive, the data transfer for this podcast is just over a second. So when we're talking about these things, we're looking at the recall rate. That's the busy part for the tape, the robot. That's the busy time for the drive. So when we look at customer bases like weather, um, what we want the weather guy to do is pull a big data set out. Don't pull out a 500 meg file, pull the entire data set, right? Mm. Pull, you know, 50 gig out and then pull your 500 meg files out of that 50 gig set because tapes efficiency is in big transfers. Yeah. Right. So yeah, never underestimate the bandwidth of a truck. Yeah, exactly. So the thing that started this whole thing was that you guys published, Spectra published an ebook that compares the cost of storing an exabyte in a Tfinity versus the cost of storing that same amount of data in uh, Glacier Deep Archive. And over time, I, I, if I recall correctly, like it started out being similarly similar in cost, but as the time went on, where you've bought the hardware once, whereas with with Glacier Deep Archive, you just keep paying, right? That over time, it ended up being significantly cheaper. Do, do you remember the overall what it was? It was like how much cheaper? It's in the millions, millions, and millions cheaper. Um, but that's, from a percentage standpoint, was it like was it like half? Do you remember? Oh, it's, I think it's. I, I, I want to say it's you know ten percent or something like that. I, I'd have to pull the ebook up in front and get it in front of me. But it's it's significantly less, and the reason being is because that recurring, like you're saying, that recurring charge. Right. And the longer the longer you store it, and did you in? So there, there's a few things that I wondered about when I was looking at this because I didn't see any references, for example, to power and cooling in there. So how, to what degree does power and cooling affect the cost? That's that's, that's a good question. Um, so tape in general, let's talk about you know the power in those tape drives and things like that. So a tape drive today, you know, is is forty watts, um, roughly forty watts. The robots, you know, if the robots running hard. It's it's eighty watts. Um, so a Tfinity, even though it's you know a hundred feet long or one hundred and ten feet long, and it has you know let's just say twenty four drives in it. Um, you're still in the 1,000 watts or 2,500 watt range uh, versus a disk-based system. Um, we have a 4U rack system that can be seven 800 watts per 4U of rack. So it's it's just so, so inexpensive from a power perspective. And then you think about a watt being sub 11 cents a kilowatt hour, a power is not a factor. Um and then similarly, the cooling will also be power over here in California, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... I was also going to say, though, even from a cooling perspective, because these aren't always spinning and everything else, I'm sure also cooling will be cheaper as well. Yeah. So we have customers that put them on, you know, basically warehouse flooring. Um, it just uses ambient air to cool. It doesn't it, it, it isn't producing, you know, heat in equals heat out. Right. BT, I, I'm producing BTU. I need to take the BTU right. out. Right. Uh, so I'm not creating enough btu that it, i'm you know a couple human beings really if you think about the heat i'm generating yeah i remember when i was doing you know back when i was comparing the cost of buying a big disc array versus the cost of buying a, a big tape library what i remember was that power and cooling alone that even if the disc array was free that the power and cooling difference alone made tape cheaper um but in this case, what you're comparing is the cost of a service. Uh, so let me, so let me, uh, you know, being devil's advocate, you're comparing the cost of a service where someone else is, you know, it's Amazon's job to keep 
glacier available versus a box that I have to maintain. Is that a fair comparison? So to to the question there, we were talking about restores earlier kind of being the thing that loads up the robot, right? Right. That's the thing that's kind of, and and the reason that there's two things that it does it, A, you have to do a lot of tape mounts possibly to get random data from the system. But the second thing is, is at the other end of that data is a customer saying, I need my data before Curtis's gets his data because my job's more important. Things like that happen. And so there's there's people in there managing the systems, really the job schedules. They're not out there uh, you know, with their head and their eyes looking in at the robot trying to, to measure the robot. So they're not spending a lot of time working on our hardware. Uh, when you talk about the management side, it's really on the tuning or keeping care and feeding of the upper end system. Uh, trying to keep the customers happy. And so in that case, Glacier is kind of the same, which is once you put it in Glacier, you're hopefully not going to be pulling it back. And if you are going to pull it back, it's it's a long time. Yeah, so it'd be a wash because you'd have both yeah. the same people doing the same sort of activities. Exactly, yeah. And, and th- that everything you just said assumes... Uh, which, which you know, you would know this better than me. That assumes that the library itself is going to be kind of, it's going to kind of continue to work and not fail all the time. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, MCBF and MTBF uh, are the terms yeah. we use for those, right? Um, and it's you know, you know, two million, four million. The 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 cycle rate for the library is is massive. So the goal is to keep that thing a keep it. Back to that car analogy we were talking about, the goal here is to keep the, the tape library operational. So let's talk about if a robot were to have a problem, um, it could go into service. The library still runs on the other robot. You could wait a week and come over and replace that robot. And then you think about you know that where we were talking about that 1930s car. Um, you know, a robot today is to take out on a T-finity is four screws and a cable. We allow the customer. We stock parts if they want to. We can stock parts at the customer site and let them replace the robot. It's that, that simple. That is that was something that I always loved about Spectrologic. That you had FRUs, right? Field replaceable units. That's the the way the tree frog and the boat. So yeah. I'm, I'm amazed that you yeah. have continued that with the Tfinity. That's yeah. actually really impressive. Yeah, the tape drive is a push of a button. I mean, there's a little button on the back that mechanically unlatches it. You pull the tape drive out. You pop it in. We reprogram the worldwide name. We reprogram the serial number of that tape drive. So your host system thinks the tape drive just basically did a lip on the fiber channel. So it, it, it goes back to that car analogy. We're trying to make it so that the care and feeding of this tape library is minimized on the person who's managing the archive. The last thing we want to do is be taking up time and having him come over and, and have to go to the front panel or over <laughs> or through a command line and, and modify something. The whole premise is, you know, get set this thing up and let it run forever. So I'm look I'm looking at the report by the way, um, and it's um, if you're five years and under, you're advertising little less than half the price. If you're ten years or over, that's where you get that orders of magnitude because it's you're 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 putting here year ten, it's ninety six million dollars versus eight and a half million dollars. That's a that's, that's a, a huge yeah. Um, and, and and so I guess. I, Going back to Spectrologic, though, so for the Tfinity series, as you're looking at these costs, right, there's sort of that one-time cost of buying the library itself. But then the ongoing cost, from what I could tell, it's much cheaper than, say, looking at Glacier Deep Archive, where you're constantly paying that recurring cost, correct? 
Yeah, so there, it's a capex versus opex model for sure. I mean, you're you really there is capital expenditure in a tape library, um, but over time, and if you look at what this is, is it's growing from two hundred petabyte to to one exabyte in the first five years. That that is where you're 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 buying more and more media in the on our side, uh, on the tape library side, and on the Glacier side, you're increasing your storage footprint and your you know your your charge per month is going up. Right. Uh, by the way, that my only like looking at it, my only like I think true criticism when you're looking at the cost of the Glacier Deep Archive is that you took the price of Glacier Deep Archive and then just multiplied that times twelve months, whereas in reality it would start smaller and grow bigger. But I don't think that that's enough to change an order of magnitude. No, it doesn't. Yeah, you, you, I, I, I could see that. I'll have to look at the sheet behind it. Um, because I know the sheet behind it, when we first did the data on this, we were actually, uh, we actually calculated the tape too high, or I'm sorry, the the, the cloud too low. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I, I, that, I what I did was I took let's say 100 petabytes and I multiplied it times Glacier Deep Archive pricing times 12 months, and I came out with the same number that you came up with. So that's where I that's where I assumed that you just kept it flat over the year, whereas it would probably you know, start smaller and grow bigger, but that's not enough to, to change an order of magnitude. Yeah. And it's kind of like, a, it really is where, where, where does the 400, where does the next 200 come in? Does it come in on day one or does it come in evenly over the year? And yeah. To your point, yeah. probably evenly over the year. Right. So, uh, so one question. So at some point I would have to replace that Tfinity. What, what are you, what are you advertising on that? So uh, I run tape libraries today, 15, 20 years. Um, so it's, it's, you're not into the life of this library. Uh, what, what I would say is, you know, th there's things that you, we, when we build a tape library, the whole idea is that through you were talking about, we, we use customer replaceable unit. There's a second value to that customer replaceable unit, which is I can also now very easily upgrade things. Um, the Tfinity has had two different robotic systems in it. It had an older robot. Now it has a newer robot. Um, I still have older robots in the field and I have newer robots in the field. And the customer that bought a library a long time ago may be running an old robot, but I may send him a new robot. So uh, those upgrades, yeah, you can certainly be upgrading that system over time. This only has, a, I think, a drive upgrade in it or something like that. So it isn't where you're going out and having to replace that. The, really, the thing we're talking about here is adding more media to the system. And, and to the point that we made earlier, media is the largest cost here. Right, the, the the actual physical tape that you're storing the data on, that's the cost. It makes sense. Um, I think it's just a something that you wouldn't necessarily like. That it doesn't seem obvious, you know, the fact that hey, as my storage is growing, it's not this sort of linear cost increase with um, Spectra, right? It's sort of okay. I am paying some amount upfront for the hardware, like you mentioned, but really the media is most of it. And tape media, like you said, it's cheap, right? Yeah. <laughs> if well, you look yeah. at a per gigabyte per, cost, yeah, per gig and per terabyte, it's yeah. it's very inexpensive. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's funny. I, I'm glad you mentioned the whole like replacing the because I never you you certainly don't do that with disc, right? You don't you don't take a bunch of discs out or replace them with new discs in a disc array. You, you just sort of throw it away. Right. Uh, but the, that the robot in the end, it's basically a giant box 
right? Yeah, let's <laughs> with, take, yeah. With a with a track yep. that you can replace the track, you can replace the, you know, and and then the library is really just a box that probably will age just fine. It's, it's the, metal, right? It's sheet, most of it's sheet metal. It's sheet metal. The, the robotic yeah. track and the robotic arm doesn't work. I've never gone out into the field and replaced one of those. It's the the thing that actually grabs the the what we call the terra pack, the pack that holds the tapes. Um, that's the robot that replaces. And it takes back to that analogy on cars. It takes 10 minutes to replace that. This isn't a, you know, this isn't a surgery. It is a four screws, one cable, pop the new one on, uh, close the door. And the other thing about this, it goes back to the feature set, you know, that, that library needs to, it's a robotic system. It calibrates itself. Well, we calibrate on the fly. So we allow moves to come in, even though the robot's brand new and doesn't know anything about its ecosystem. It doesn't know where things are at. It's going to discover it on the fly so that I can get back into operation as quickly as possible. And when I have idle time, I'll go continue my discovery of what I need to find inside that library. Well, it, it's really cool to see like how how far you guys have come since I was buying you <laughs> back 25 years ago. Back in the day. Um, back in the day. Um, and, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story from back then and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Uh, I had one of the, um, you know, uh, well, I had, I think I had like 15 of those, uh, uh, the, the, I, I, I had AIT, I, I had DDS based ones. And then I had the AIT based ones. Was it round and or was it vertical? That's the question. The, the, it was, it, it went into a rack and there was a carousel. It was a carousel. That would be a, that would be a bullfrog. Okay. Yeah. So, um, we had one and what, what I remember doing was, we, we never had a service person come because again, the field replaceable units and whatnot. And one time we actually did have a tape library that needed to be sent in for servicing. And you guys sent us a, um, a, uh, you know, a loaner while our tape library. And again, this is 25 years ago, but, uh, but what was interesting was, uh, the loaner that you sent us did not have a, uh, auto sensing power supply. Ah, yeah, yeah, that, that was before that. You're right. They had switches yeah. on the back. I remember. Yeah, these. My, yeah. my tape library had my, my production tape library did, but the loaner tape library did not. And um, I didn't know that. And I was plugging this tape library into the back of an HP 9000 cabinet, which is all 220. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> And so I plugged it in, and as a friend of mine likes to say, I he, he likes to joke smoke that out. computers all run on black smoke, and I let the smoke out. Yes, um, it, it actually booted up, like the LCD screen came on, and then and then there was this poof, <laughs> and that loner was no more. Yeah, um, yeah we we have a we have a bad habit in the company when a, a new electrical engineer is bringing up his first board. For sure, somebody will. We'll do something like put a capacitor <laughs> uh, to make sure it pops. Um, it's just it's just like, a right it's a right yeah, of passage. <laughs> I think that's a good that's just, a to, good just to mess with the new person. Yeah, it's a right of passage. That's pretty funny. So the one thing I did want to go back and talk about the Tfinity and the cost analysis. I know we've been talking this entire time that restores are very rare, but it is important to talk about the cost of doing restores in that comparison. Sure. Right between Tfinity on premises versus Glacier Deep Archive, because it is easy to put your data into the cloud, but it does cost you an arm and a leg sometimes to bring the data back out. Yeah, it does. So here's the here's the funny thing about this this you know we're talking 
you know, 200, uh, 200 petabytes per year. Uh, a tape drive today, an LT09 tape drive, can write about 36 terabyte uncompressed data. I'll, I'll, I always deal with uncompressed. We'll write about 36 terabytes per day. One tape drive will write about 36 terabytes per day. So when you think about this 400 petabytes, it, it's it's not that hard for me to have extra time to do restores. And so when this hardware is on the floor, it's really just a, a few more tape drives. If all, if all this tape library we're doing was ingesting data, you're never going to read it. I only need a, a, a fixed number of tape drives. This there's there the additional tape drives you put in the system here would be based on how many how much data you're pulling out of the, the tape library. Um, and that's basically the cost of the tape drives. And they're gonna amortize over five or ten years here. Versus when we're talking about coming out of Glacier, first is the cost. There is a tiny bit of data that you can get for free. And if you read the fine print on the way Glacier says you can get data out for free. If you're going to pull, let's just say, uh, a few hundred terabytes out of Glacier this month, you need to pull one thirtieth of it every day of the month. And if you if you miss one, you don't get it back. Right, <laughs> that free part, you don't get it back. Um, there's that cost, and then the second part that a lot of people, and I've noticed this, a lot of people didn't count on, was increasing their pipe size. If you size your pipe for that ingest only, and then you come back and say, you know, I need to also pull down this much, it's a bigger pipe. Um, the flip of this, this article here is, uh, at a conference in Texas, the first STS conference, or maybe it was the second STS conference storage technology showcase. I did a thing that I was comparing things like, what if you used a, you know, a, a blue apron as your only source for dinner? What if you used Uber as your only way to get around? What if you used, uh, Airbnb is as instead of buying a house or renting a property, you use Airbnb. And I showed that when you take these kind of things to infinity, in other words, when you take them to scale, uh, they fall apart. They're great for small, but they don't go to scale. And that's kind of what happens here. When, when I showed, you know, Uber doesn't work and Blue Apron doesn't work at scale. I also showed that, you know, for the cost of putting a copy in the cloud and doing a retrieval, you could buy on-site tape. And just recover from tape all the time and use the cloud as the DR copy. Because you shrink your pipe size, you don't get any out charges, you don't get any of these, these overhead costs. You're using the cloud just as a oh no copy where something's happened on, with the on-site copy. I need to get the copy out of the cloud. I will pay the charge for getting it out. So the, the interesting part to this is really when you think about cloud, it's not x cent per gig that's the bare <laughs> that's storage cost right <laughs> yeah. yeah that's 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 table stakes now we got to play the game and and that's where you lose your money there's a a nice write-up by the uh, office of the inspector general for nasa they inspected a nasa go to cloud move and they did not calculate their out charges Oof. Mm -mm. And it's in the millions. I mean, millions and millions and millions. Yeah. They did not calculate their out charges. And so the inspector general kind of goes through what happened. And it was a, wow, you guys really messed up. And, and I, I think, Matt, I think I'm I'm 100% on board with everything you said, as long as we're talking, as all we're talking about is long-term storage. If what we're talking about is backup and recovery and DR, I would think that then we'd have a whole different discussion on the things that we can do with having a cloud copy of the data 
that you you can't really do with tape. Certainly not tape sitting in a box in Iron Mountain. Yeah. But when we're talking about long term storage, I, I think that when if people are talking about storing data for many many years, uh, you know, it still is there is a huge um, there, there's no technical reason not to use tape and there are technical advantages for tape. And what you're at the point that this ebook is making is it's also much, much cheaper. I, I, and I think that's a solid, uh, yeah. And I would not say there's one story. I, 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 you know, I'm not a person who professes that tape is the only solution that you should ever use in your, in your ecosystem. Um, I'm, I'm always about you use the one that's right for you. Um, that's you know it, it you could be running flash and and backing up to cloud that that may be right for you it, i this book is about really scale and cost of scale um as i say take it to infinity and what happens to when you do that and that's what this ebook is kind of about is at scale things fall apart um yeah. when you look at cloud i i personally you know my all of my photos are in the cloud you know, <laughs> um because they're important to me if my house were to catch fire and I lost my disk drives, I have Drobo boxes right there. If I lost those, um, I still have a copy of my most important data offsite. Well, look, luckily, there aren't any fires in the greater uh, Denver area. Exactly. At all. Only five running right now. Uh, all right. Well, listen, Matt, you and I could talk about tape all day, I'm sure. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Curtis, thank you. Persona, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. And I was just going to one, I was just wondering. Um, is this ebook available for our listeners to access somewhere or? Yeah, as you go to spectrologic.com, I think there's a link right at the top of the page. If not, you can just search, I think, the word. Yeah, I'll, so I'll put a link to it in the show description. And um, all right. So uh, thank you uh, to Matt. Thank you to our listeners for staying. This is a little bit longer than our typical podcast, uh, just like how long a tape apparently is. <laughs> what do you say, too? Two kilometers? Two hundred, right? It's, it's one kilometer of media, but the the number of passes make it look like it's two hundred and eight kilometers long. That's a lo- that's a really long time. Anyway, and so yeah, thanks for thanks for doing that. Make sure to make sure to uh, rate the podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash restore and uh, make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit.
for once it'll be completely done maybe 